Father, guide our hearts and our thinking as we open your word. May we worship you in accordance with truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you see unfocused drivers all the time? I see people drifting all the time, and particularly when I was on my motorcycle, I would notice as I'm, as I'm riding by, I'd see people diddling around on their phone, you see drifting over, people jutting out without really seeing what's going on. People are really distracted. People are playing with their phones at the red light, right, and so it turns green, and they're still sitting there, right? That, that happens because they're not focused. To be a good, safe driver, we need to be focused on the task at hand. Uh, not playing with the radio, not playing with a hamburger. We had a, a college friend. <laughs> she, she, was, she is known to get into accidents while she was eating. And so like the police actually told her, you're not allowed to eat while you drive. I mean, they really can't enforce that one that well. But she didn't heed that. And she, she slid off the road and got into this massive car accident. Like her, she had big problems, but she had a hamburger. And she was kind of stuck like this. Um, in this position, she tried to throw the hamburger and it like fell right next to her head. <laughs> you know, there are things that distract us. Like bird watching is not for driving. Oftentimes I'll be riding down the street and one of my kids or my wife will say, hey, did you see such and such? I'm like, sorry, I'm driving. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to actually keep you all safe and the people around us safe. Um, driving is for driving, not for sightseeing so much. When it comes to our spiritual lives, there is a level of attention that is necessary as well. There is a, a level of attention that, that is needed for us to be headed in the right direction. Paul calls for the church to follow his lead and the examples of others who follow his lead. That's what we have before us in our text. Uh, you're in Philippians chapter 3. I'd like for us to read beginning in verse 17. We've read this a couple of times last week and some more this week, but we want to have God's word as the, the foundation of what we're talking about. It's not a speech. It's not what we're doing here. I'm not giving you a speech or a lecture. We're looking at what does God's word have to say and what does that have to do with my life? Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me or following me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set, minds set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await, we're looking, we're awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul sets forth this pattern this pattern. Um, imitate me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on those who are doing what I'm doing. In verses 18 and 19, Paul describes poor examples. Uh, and then he describes their vices. And he describes their end. 
And he, and he finishes that, that portion of the discussion with the expression, with mindset unearthly things, more literally, who set their minds. They have their gaze. Their attention is fixed on earthly things. Their, their attention is, is here on that which is around them instead of something that is beyond this world. This world lasts how many years? How many years do you have left? I don't know, and you don't know. We have a certain expectation of how many years we last. We think of our parents and our grandparents. Well, so-and-so you know, had this problem at this age, and then you know, the Lord took them at this age. We have this kind of idea, but just because our family history leads itself to this age does not mean that our life will make it to that age. We have no idea how many years we have. I can tell you this. If you were Methuselah, if you don't know who that is, look him up. He's in Genesis. 969 years, okay? People don't last that long anymore. It was before sin had its, its devastating effects on us to the extent it has. 969 years. You want to live a thousand years? No, you don't because you know what it looks like when you're 70 and it's like it's starting to hurt. So you're not thinking a thousand's a great idea. But let's suppose you lived the thousand-year Methuselah life. That's nothing compared to eternity. And yet we get so caught up on the things we feel, the things we see, the things we smell, the things we taste, the things we can grab a hold of. And, and they don't last. They don't last. Many of the things that we smell, see, and touch don't even last half as long as we do. You have this great, great car. I had this nice motorcycle. I loved my motorcycle. Riding around, have the kids on the back, not all of them, just one at a time. Have my wife on the back. Wonderful. It's great. Until someone decides to run me over. And then it's, it's done. I have pictures in the salvage yard of my motorcycle. That's it. That's the end of it. I had nothing left for it. I liked it. I have a nice truck. It's starting to rust out. Going to try to fix it. But you know, it's like, that's just what happens. You have these great things you like, they don't last. Eternity is a long time. And what he's letting us know is look, look, look at what's going to last. Follow my example. Let me ask you a question. We're going to get back to this. How, how long ago did Paul die? In case you don't know, it was in the first century. So here we are, 2,000 years later. And we're talking about Paul's example. He's not around. No one's going to be talking about your truck or your house a thousand years from now. Never mind two thousand years from now. They're not going to say, "Ooh, I remember driving by this." No, your house will be long gone by then. There are temporary things, and then there are eternal things. He says, "Keep your eyes on that which is is important." Verse twenty begins in our text with a but. But, it's an, you know, a change of direction. But, in the Greek text, it actually is the, the Greek preposition gar, which means for. For. All right? The reason I tell you that is because, really, we could read this section as verse 17. You could skip 18 and 19. I'm not telling you to skip it. It's God's word. But I'm telling you, you could skip 18 and 19 and understand what this passage is about. What he tells us is, in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who, who walk according to the example you have in us. Verse 20, for because our citizenship is in heaven 
and from it, heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So it, what you want to see is that connection. I believe it's very important for us to see that connection. He's, he's not contrasting so much the last verse, though there's elements of contrast between the last verse. He's helping us to build on what he told us in verse 17, because the, the main idea of this passage is verse 17. Follow me and keep your eyes on those who follow me. And the reason I want you to keep your eyes on my example and the example of those who follow me is because we have another world we're living for. Our real home, our real home is in heaven. We need to remember as we live our lives who we really are. We need to remember who we really are. We need to remember where we really belong. And we need to remember where we are really headed. It's so easy to allow the pressures, passions, pains, and pursuits of this life to capture our attention. It is easy to lose our focus. This focus Paul was aware of. He, he, he had a, a pattern in his own life to help prevent him from catering to these things as the main focus of his life. We've already studied it, but I want you to, to see it again. It's in the same chapter, Philippians chapter 3. Just look up a few verses to verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. A better way to understand this is I've been obtained for a reason. I've been obtained for a reason. And the reason I've been obtained, I haven't reached that level yet. And so my, my desire as a person who's been obtained by Jesus Christ through the blood payment of his life, I want to attain to that measure for which I've been attained. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying in verse 12. And so in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to press on toward being like Christ. So Paul lays out a pattern that is bulletproof in any generation. Follow me. Follow me. Is Paul around? Can you get your eyes on him? No. So how do we follow Paul? It's the, it's the biblical record. If you're going to follow Paul, it's going to be because you know what he said. Paul was used as a penman, someone who wrote or, or was the, the human author of God's word. God used Paul and those who wrote for him to convey a message. And so if we're going to follow Paul, it's going to be because we're seeing what God used him to write. That is a safeguard, folks, against following someone who's going down a, a goat path. Someone who's going on a, a rabbit trail. Oh, this is really what spiritual life is about. I'm going to do it like this. And you can call... You can call foolishness on that. That doesn't line up with what the scripture says. That doesn't, that doesn't meet the, the standard. So we have this inscripturated example. Follow me. That's the written record. We also have 
Keep your eyes, in verse 17, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So now we have flesh and blood examples. Now when we're, we're keeping our eyes, we're watching the, the gospel walk of others. We're saying, okay, the way they're walking is in line with what God's word says through Paul or some other biblical writer. They're following the gospel patterns. And because they're following the gospel patterns, I see them and I can follow them. They're living examples, positive living examples. And then in verses 18, uh, seven, uh, 18 and 19, we have some negative examples. Verse 18, for many of whom I have told you often and now even tell you with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they walk in opposition to the gospel. There's those that, that follow the scriptural record. There are those that, that walk in accordance with the gospel and those that walk in opposition to the gospel. Last week, we started to talk about transformation. Uh, this passage is communicating uh, to us about the total transformation that awaits those who are God's people. But it also communicates to us about the transformation that takes place in our lives day to day between now and the final day. Because total transformation is a sure thing for all who know Jesus, anyone that's trusted Christ is assured that they will receive total transformation. That's not in question. If you've trusted Christ, one day you'll be perfectly like him. First, Peter, uh, First John chapter 3 tells us when we see him, we'll be made like unto him, for we'll see him as he is. That's a promise for those that know Christ as Savior. In the meantime, we should be looking more and more like him, demonstrating him more and more. Because our total transformation is a sure thing, uh, our lives should be marked by that total transformation now. Last week we looked at this point. We're not going to reiterate it. Transformation impacts our eternal destiny. We notice that from verse 19, their end, those that walk in opposition to the gospel, their end is destruction. It not only impacts our eternal destiny, but it also impacts our daily lives. And that's where we are this morning. Transformation impacts our daily lives. We're in Philippians chapter 3, and in verse 19, their end is destruction. Now, who's the there in verse 19? Those that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, or those that walk in opposition to the cross of Christ, those that aren't following the gospel. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their God is their belly, is what it says. So we can understand this by understanding this statement. Transformation impacts our passions. Transformation impacts our passions. He's talking about those that walk in opposition to the gospel. And he says, their small g God, the one that they worship, the one that they follow, the one that they su subscribe to, the one that they say, that's my God, their God is their belly. Now, he's not necessarily talking about pizza and nachos and ice cream. He's talking about the things that we sense. You can feel it in your gut. Oh, I know I love you because I can feel it. I get these tinglies when I'm near you. Hey, boys and girls, let's just take a moment and talk about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. Guy, girl, stomach tingles. That doesn't tell you whether you're in love. That tells you that you're alive. Yes? Am I correct? That's the way it goes. 
you get these sensations inside because the, a member of the opposite sex is attractive. That's the way it is. Their God is their belly. They say, I must, I must serve this. If, if it tells me that it feels this way, if I, it tells me that I'm loving this person, I must love them until I don't because they leave the toilet seat up. Or they're always late. Or they're kind of a lazy person. Or they're a slob. Or they're kind of rude. And you find, find out, I really don't love this person. I don't know what those tingles were in the first place. It's because your belly is not a good source of figuring out what's right and wrong. In fact, it's the worst source of telling you what's right and wrong. If you start allowing your emotions the way you feel to, to guide you, you're going to find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. This is why people are in debt up to their eyeballs, because I have to have that. I must have it, and I must have it now. It's about feeding our appetites for leisure, sensuality, gluttony, covetousness, and other passions. Those that walk in opposite, opposition to the gospel allow their bellies, their passions, to guide them. Transformation turns that on its head. I now have something greater to live for than what I feel you know what, you, you might really like a particular thing. If you get too much of it, you get tired of it. Except pizza. You don't really get tired of pizza. But most things, if you get too much of it, you get tired of it. Um, when, when we talk about the, the Lord transforming our lives, when we talk about Christ, he is all satisfying, but you haven't figured him out yet, have you? That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talked about how we, we see him in a mirror dimly. Dimly. It's like, I, I, I understand. I understand that Jesus is both God and man. I got it. I understand the theology. I understand what the Bible says. I understand that Jesus, the God-man, was tired and was thirsty and hungry. Even though when the devil tempted him to make stones turn into bread when he was starving. He wouldn't do it, but yet other people were hungry and he made the loaves turn into enough to feed thousands of people. I, I understand in my brain, but I only see dimly. One day, folks, face to face, no more dimness, clarity. Not only will I know him, I will, I will be known by him, I will know him as I'm known by him, but I will, I will be satiated perfectly. And here in this life, there's, we get these little bits and glimpses as we read God's word, as we, as we study together, as we worship together, as we uh, minister to one another. We get these glimpses, but it's not enough. We want more. We want more. Are you thirsting for Christ? Are you thirsting for him? He'll never ever not be satisfying to those that belong to God. Did you hear that? It's very important how that was stated. He'll never not be satisfying to those who belong to God. Their God is their belly. Transformation also impacts our treasure. Similar, it's not, not, not a lot different, but there's, there's some differences. It says their glory they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. That's in verse 19 again. The Corinthians were admonished for glorying in what they should be ashamed of. Remember that? Yes, we are the grace church. 
We are the Grace Church. And we, we don't mind sin here. Sin's okay. Sin is to be understood. Sin is to be celebrated. Because Jesus died for that sin. And so we should glory in the sin. No! No! No, we don't glory in the sin. We glory in the Savior. We don't say, hey, you're too sinful for us. You can't come here. That's, that's anti-gospel. But our glorying is not in our sinfulness. Our glorying is in our Savior. Our glory is in mercy and in grace and abundance and kindness. We, we celebrate Christ. Never, never do we celebrate us. We celebrate his work. They glory in their shame. The Ephesians were told that there were some elements of wickedness that were better left outside of our discussions. Remember that? It's in Ephesians 5. He said it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Now, let's, let's, let's just take a little pause here. Ladies and gentlemen, do you watch Netflix? I do. Do you go to movie theaters? I do occasionally. Do you watch movies? I do occasionally. Do you watch television? I do occasionally. So I'm not, by that question, I'm not saying everyone that watches any of these things is automatically in sin because of it. I'm not saying that. But let me ask you a further question. The things that are being pictured on that screen, whether in our home or at the theater, are they things that I should shy away from as part of my lifestyle? Are there things that are not really fit for a Christian's consumption. There are definitely things that are not fit for our consumption. And, and he's talking about not speaking of the things that are done by them in secret. And sometimes we can glorify what's done by them in secret by watching it. Transformation says, I don't have a taste for that. That stuff that's going on there, that's not for me. I know that it's there. Maybe I participated at one time in my life. That's not for me. That's for something, that, that's, that, that is outside of gospel living. Transformation helps us to treasure things that are of more value than, than is offered to us. Transformation also impacts our mindset. Now it says in our text, with minds set on earthly things. I'd say it's better translated, who set their minds, who, who are setting their minds on earthly things. This is not like... Oh, by accident, I slipped into thinking this way. It's, it's like there's an intentional, this is the way I think. This is what I want. This is, this is the direction I'm, I'm setting my mind. Those that walk in opposition to the gospel have a, an intentionality to what they're thinking. And I want for you to just, where you're at, just think about this for yourself. And I need to think about it for myself. Do I have myself programmed to set my mind to think in this way? Am I willing... Am I willing to allow God's word to inform me and God's spirit to quicken me about thinking a different way? They set their mind this way. It's like they lock themselves into this way of thinking. That's opposite of transformative behavior. Transformation impacts our mindset. This is natural. It's natural for us to think on earthly things. 
uh, we see, we smell, we taste, we hear, we touch, because we're surrounded by that which is natural, our minds easily are taken up with our senses. This is why the Bible tells us that we need to set our minds aright. We need to be, have our minds renewed. Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. It's natural to think about the things that are nearby you. How will you not think about your wife and kids? That's a good thing. We ought to. But is that what occupies you? Is, is that your, your whole drive in life, to, to cater to my children, to make sure they have everything they ever want? That's, that's the mindset now in, in our world. Give them what they want. You know, don't say no. No is a bad word. Ooh. Boy, I could really get off the rails on that one. But let me just take a moment. I don't know, you know what you're doing. If you have kids, you, know, you don't have kids. You have grandkids and you have kids that are watching them, you know, raising them. If we never tell our children no, when will they understand what the line is? And we wonder why, forgive me, I'm not being callous here, we wonder why rape is so prevalent in our society. Because people aren't used to hearing no. What is that? No one says no to me. Oh, really? We need to train our children that there are lines that are crossed that, 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 that can't be crossed. When no is, is there, no means, guess what? No! You know, I've sat in countless um, trainings in my military service. It's called SAPR, Sexual Assault Prevent and uh, Re uh, Response and Prevention, or Prevention and Re Response. And like, there are literally discussions in these, in these classrooms about what is consent. Well, if someone's drunk out of their minds, they, don't have, they can't give consent. Did, did I really need to hear that? Should I not have been able to figure out, as a, a normal, decent human being, that if someone is intoxicated, they can't give consent? Do I need someone to tell me that? Well, apparently, in this day and age, we need these conversations. And you should have heard some of the filthy conversations that took place based on that. It's, an, it's unbelievable. Well, at what point? <sighs> Come on, get a grip. But this comes from having minds set on earthly things and not being able to say, no, there are no's. Set your minds on things above. Now, how do we, how do we deal with this, folks? We, we're, we're inundated with this mindset around us. We've been trained under it. We watch it on television. We see it on movies. We have gone to their schools, and we, we've been trained by it. What do we do to undermine all of the work people have done to give us an earthly mindset? How do we counter it? Well, first of all, we need God to do a supernatural work to save us. That's the first step. But what about on a day-by-day -day basis? What do we do to counter it? God's Word gives us some information about this. And I want to spend a couple of minutes here for us to consider it. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find that on page 947. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen carefully. He gives us great information that we need in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but 
be transformed, that's what we've been talking about, transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing or examining, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's just given us some insight as to how to, how to deal with this inundation. We're, we're inundated by the world around us, teaching us and training us to live and think in a certain way. And the way we counter it is to say, I'm not going to put on this, this philosophy. I'm not going to put on this philosophy. Instead, I'm going to be transformed by thinking the right way. And the way I'll think the right way is I'm going I'm to compare what I'm receiving to what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Well, that thinking is wrong. And so guess what? I'm going to have to say, all right. Well, that doesn't meet the standard. The standard says something different than what you're, subscribe, you're, you're, you're trying to feed me. And so I'm not going to take that standard. I'm going to find something else. I'm going to make sure that what I'm taking in and believing and subscribing to is in accordance with what God has said. Renewing our minds by comparing what God's word has to say with what we see, with what we hear, with what we taste, with what we feel. I'm going to compare it. Another passage of scripture in Psalm 19 that will be found on page 456 of your church Bible, 456, Psalm 19. In the first six verses, he talks about the great revelation of God through nature, called that general revelation that God has given to everyone. You wake up in the morning and you see a sun in the sky, or it's not there, it's behind the clouds. You know it's there. You know what's there every day, it makes its course. Every night, you look out in the sky, if it's not cloudy, and you see scar, uh, stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Night and night, utters speech, day and day, day, speaks forth knowledge. God has revealed himself in the things he has made. That's the first six verses. The next section, verses seven and following, he talks about special revelation. And he's speaking about what he has given to us in the pages of Scripture. Verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. What does it do? It rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. Do you see the effect that the word has? It changes us. It transforms us. It renews our minds. He goes on a little bit more. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen carefully. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is what? Warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. He talks about warning us. He talks about changing our thinking, giving us light in our eyes. Have you ever seen a light bulb go off in someone's mind? You're teaching someone something, whatever, something simple. And, and they're like, they don't get it, they don't get it. But sometimes the light bulb goes on, boom. Ah, they've got it. It's an epiphany. Ah, everyone's happy. God's word does that. God the Spirit gives us life to see the truth 
of the word. I hope you've experienced that life-giving, enlightening gift that comes through the word by the spirit. God's word changes us. It renews our minds. We need to be transformed in our daily lives. If you and I simply do what comes naturally, we'll march contrary to the cross of Christ. We must acknowledge that the kind of walk that the world demonstrates ends in destruction. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our marching orders are different. We are not supposed to elevate our desires to the place of lordship. But instead, we have been told to crucify them. This willingness to set aside our base desires is consistent with the gospel. It's consistent with the gospel. To not allow our desires to rule over us, but instead, as God told Cain, you ought to rule over them, rule over it. And we have everything we need to be able to rule over our desires. God has given us his word, and he's given us his spirit. Transformation impacts our daily lives. Thirdly, transformation produces a unique pattern. We're heading back, please, to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We've read this text a number of times now. I'm hoping that it's continuing to have its effect on us. Transformation produces a unique pattern. Brothers, back in Philippians 3, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We have two different examples, positive and negative. We have Paul, he's inscripturated. We have the written record there. Then we have those who allow their lives to be transformed by the written word of God. There are examples to follow. As we, as we observe different ways of life and patterns that people lay out before us, we should always consider their end. Consider their end. He tells us here that their end is destruction. In Hebrews chapter 13, we were given a different uh, bit of information. Though, he says, remember those who spoke the word of word to you, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Conversation. When they were done, yeah, I always remember the end. The end is the best part. He said amen and I could leave. That's not, he's not talking about the end of the discussion. He's talking about the end of their lives. What is the end of their life? They went from this earth and they went into the presence of God. Remember their end. One of the things we have to recognize about transformation in God's plan, this is not popular in this day and age, is that transformation is a community project. Transformation is a community project. Yes, you can take your Bible and you can go out on a hill somewhere and spend time reading God's Word and it will have an impact on your life because it's powerful and God's Spirit does that. That's not the end of the discussion, folks. Transformation is more than about you and your own personal 
relationship with God, in your own personal walk. It's, it's communal. It's community-related, which is why we have the Bible. And, and all of these letters, almost all of them, are written to churches. Churches. People gather together, and they read publicly the Scriptures. And, and they work out the truths of Scripture together, not just individually doing their own thing. It's not like YouTube Christianity or television Christianity. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, you've got to go to a place where there are other believers and, and look. Look, what's going on? Is this person following hard after Christ? If they're following hard after Christ, it means they're following Paul's example. And if they're following that example, that's someone I should get to know. I should get to know. So that not only are they making an impact on my life, but guess what? There are some other people around too. And guess what? They need to be able to look to you. If it's all about the old people, the church will die out, right? It's older men and women walking with the Lord, demonstrating Christ. Younger people following the example. And guess what? Younger people still following the example. So that's how things perpetuate from generation to generation, which is why Paul told Timothy, the, the things you heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's the way it works. Oh, although, you know, the people at that church, they're all too old for me. Oh, oh, oh. You can't learn from someone who has some, some years under their belt. What's, what are you thinking? You're going to go learn from someone who's younger than you? You know, someone that... that, that that's in the same situation, they're still trying to figure these things out? That, that's the plan? No, that's not the way it works. God has, look up, look up, look at someone else. Who's walking with Christ? Follow, follow. In Hebrews chapter 3, there's this statement, and it's, it's really important. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's talking about the church caring about one another. That's the way it works. It's not about you and your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a catch word that came over the last however many years, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, it's good. You have to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with God intimate relationship with God through Christ. It's all very important. But we've got stuck on that personal thing. You have more than just a personal relationship with Christ. You also have a corporate relationship with Christ. It's not because the church is necessary for you to get to Christ. It's because Christ has given you some orders that can only be fulfilled together. He's given us some, some orders that can only be fulfilled together. Now, we can look at a lot of scripture passages, and I, and I want to, but that's... I have something else for you. There are many passages we could look at, but I want to give you an assignment. Maybe you'll take it. Maybe you won't. Here's what I want you to do. Look up all of the places in the New Testament where the phrase one another, one another, is used. If you have a smartphone, type into Google one another's in the New Testament. Or if you have a smartphone, download a Bible app and hit the little magnifying glass 
and put a quotation mark, one, skip a space, another, and a quotation mark, and press search. You'll see all the places in the New Testament where it says one another. So it's an easy assignment. After you find them, read them. And I want you to do this, please. Consider how you could rightly fulfill these demands of Scripture outside of a close relationship with people in your local, Bible-believing, gospel-centered church. If you are honest, you will know that you can't fulfill those passages without an intimate fellowship with God's people living in community together. I hope that you're paying attention right now. And I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. You're going to find a list, and it's long, of demands in Scripture that you cannot fulfill without finding a way to integrate yourself with other believers in whatever church God has called you to, whether it's this church or some other church. I'm, I'm not about this church. I'm about God's church. So this church, another church that's gospel <laughs> preaching, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But I can tell you this. You can't just show up and take off and, and hope that you fulfilled everything that's going on that God wants out of your life. He has saved you for something. He saved you for something. And that is to reflect Jesus Christ in the church and out of the church. The one another's of scripture cannot be done by just showing up at 10 o'clock and leaving at 11.20. It doesn't work. We've got to find other ways that our lives are intersecting so we can demonstrate Christ. Not just hear about him, that's wonderful. Sing about him, that's great. Pray about him together, that's wonderful. But there's got to be an, an in-living of these things in our lives. God can do this. Transformation is a community project. Lastly, lastly, we need to recognize the, the, the relationship between transformation and subjection. So transformation results from subjection. We see that in verses 20 and 21. Take a look, please. But our citizenship, or for our citizenship, is in heaven. The place we belong, our, our ultimate destiny and our ultimate real reality is in heaven. And from it, we're waiting. We're looking for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he going to do when he comes? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In order for our transformation to take place, there is a subjection that takes place. We, our bodies are subject to the power and working of Christ. He uses two different Greek words there, one that means like dynamite and one that means energ energized workings. One, this explosive element, and the other, this constant flood of, of power. Okay? There's, there's two different ideas there, and what happens is the only way that transformation takes place is as we are subjected to him. That's what happens in that total transformation, and it has great implications in how we are trans transformed in this life. Who is accomplishing the final transformation according to verse 21. Jesus is, right? Who initiated the first element of our transformation at salvation? God does, doesn't he? We, we, we recognize that. Who then is the instrument of our daily transformation? 
God is. Generally, we recognize it's a work of the Spirit in our lives. How is the human response to our initial salvation indicated? What is the human response that lets me know, okay, I've been born again. What's the human response? Faith, right? I trust Christ. That's why justification is by faith alone. It's by faith alone. So faith is the indicator. So that here's a, here's a follow-up question. Ready? How is the human response to our daily transformation indicated? Faith. Faith alone. For a fuller understanding of how that faith plays out, we must see this faith showing itself in submission or subjection. Faith demonstrates itself in saying, yeah, God, you're right. I am a sinner. Yeah, God, you're right. Christ is a great Savior, and he's the only way to you. It's surrendering myself to that reality. That, that's what faith is. I'm trusting that God is correct when he says this. Well, in my daily life, it's the same thing. I see, I see myself, and I see my sin, and I see the world, and I see it in contrast to the scriptures, and I say, this isn't, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And, I, and what I have to do is say, God, this, this, isn't, this isn't the right thing. Help me. And, I, and I, I, I have to surrender my heart. I have to surrender my will. God, give me your desires. Demonstrate your passions in me. Help, my, help me to set aside the passions of my flesh that are running in contrast to the gospel. When we place ourselves under the loving, powerful hand of our Father, He works a beautiful transformation into our lives. He brings forth the character of his son into our lives. This is what we're looking for. This is our desire. And if you are otherwise minded, I pray that God will reveal this to you. There are so many items that cry out for our attention. But as Paul says here in chapter 4 and verse 1, this one should take precedent. That's why he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, and long for my joy and crown. Stand firm thus, this way. Stand firm this way in the Lord, my beloved. What way? By joining and imitating Paul. By keeping my eyes on those who walk after his example. Because our citizenship is in heaven. We're waiting right now for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we know for certain, if we're born again, that he's going to change us completely and, and totally to the image of Christ. There are many, on the other hand, who walk in opposition to the gospel. They walk as enemies of the gospel of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in things that should be shameful. They have set their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our mind is set on things above. Stand this way in the Lord. One day God is going to finish what he started. And those in whom he has begun a good work will be finished. Will be completely transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It must be our desire in the meantime to be reflecting him in this life. Let's pray together. Father, we are in need. We're in need of you to do the work that only you can do. 
We struggle, Father, to surrender our will. And so we pray that you would make us willing. Help us by your spirit to put to death the deeds of the body and the passions of our flesh. Help us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds as we read your word. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on your word and on those who follow your word. And warn us, Father, warn us when our eyes are fixed on things that are in contrast to your word. Please sanctify your people, transform your people. Help us to invest in one another. Help us to look to one another, not, not to criticize, to look to one another to encourage that we might see examples and be examples for your glory, that your church may thrive and perpetuate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.